Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is not Tuesday, so we are not doing a draft deep dive today. We are back to the NBA as a whole. So I am talking through the awards today on the last day of the season, which somehow makes this podcast a week late, but that's sort of what it is. And I'm here today with my hashtag basketball colleague and fellow power ranker, Kevin Nye. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Nick. I'm a little sad to see the season go, but, you know, playoffs are pretty, pretty exciting. How's how's everything going with you? Well, I am also watching the season go. That's, you know, one of the things that happens when you're Kings and Cavs fans talking on the podcast. Yeah. It's, between uh, between it's you, me, one. and Tyler, we really have the trio of futility in terms of our favorite teams. We don't have a lot of good things to talk about. At least with the other two guys, they, they're Celtics fans, and the Celtics are not showing up a lot in our award ballots here. Yet they are at least making the playoffs. I will True. say, on a positive Sacramento note, Rick Adelman, Chris Webber, and Yolanda Griffith are all going to be in the Hall of Fame class of 2021. Okay. Certainly well-deserved and a little late, honestly, for all three Mm -hmm. of them, but really glad to see Mm -hmm. them getting in next year. So that'll Mm -hmm. be a fun induction ceremony. And it is, you know, a little telling that the Kings' last day of the season also comes with two of the key contributors to their last good team being inducted. So, you know, that's fun to see. yeah. Well, if it's if I can steal a, a quick thought on that, um, Ben Wallace also getting inducted did have a stint with the Cavs, but even more importantly, Ben Wallace started his college basketball career at Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland, where I was an English tutor just recently for the last few years. And I don't know how he ended up there, but he is, I'm pretty sure, the first Cuyahoga Community College student to reach the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I would bet money on that. <laughs> yeah, smart. He's one of my favorite players of all time, so I was really happy for that as well. And first undrafted player in the modern era to make the Hall of Fame as well. Not bad. Not bad at all. But we are going to talk about NBA awards today, and we are going to start off with our MVP ballots. And we both have the same player at the top of our ballots, and he wasn't quite undrafted, but... He is about to set the record for the latest drafted player to win the MVP award. The previous record was held by Giannis Antetokounmpo and Steve Nash, who were the 15th picks in their (laughs) respective drafts. Nikola Jokic was the 41st pick in his draft. (laughs) And unless you're just trying to stir up controversy, he's been at the top of your MVP ballot for quite a while at this point. Jokic and the Nuggets are going to be, at a minimum, a top-four seed, despite Jamal Murray's ACL tear and significant absences from everyone else on the roster. Only two players on the Nuggets have missed fewer than 10 games, Facundo Campazzo, and Mm -hmm. Nikola Jokic has played every single game for the Denver Nuggets. He's (laughs) averaging 26-11-8. He's the engine of their offense, and for all the hand-wringing about his defense, which I've said before I think is overblown, they're still a borderline top-10 defense with him manning the middle. As of this morning, they were 11th in defensive rating per basketball reference. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't even know what needs to be said about him. Uh, I think my note to start... Uh, you know, on this was like, Jokic wins and it's not close. We should just move on to the next ones because he's been so ridiculously good. You know, I think there was a case, um, you know, maybe two months ago, you could kind of make the case that like it was a three-man race between Embiid and LeBron and then they both started missing time and Jokic just got better. Um, so it, it there's there's just so much that he's done. My favorite stat is win shares. Uh, my favorite stat about Jokic is win shares. It's not necessarily my favorite stat. Um, but uh, for for a point of reference, seven players in the entire league have earned half the offensive win shares of Nikola Jokic this season. <laughs> Jokic is at 12.1 offensive win shares. Second is Dame Lillard at 9.5. Third is Zion at 7.1. I mean, that's three hilarious. guys have more than I, it's unbelievable. Three guys have more than seven, and Jokic has twelve, and 
He's at 15 overall, 15.2 overall, which obviously is pretty darn good. Like for a point of reference, LeBron, if you go look at uh, per 48, win shares per 48, um, I believe Jokic is at, uh, he's just over 0.3. And that's something that LeBron has only done twice in his career. To give you an idea of how impressive getting 0.3 win shares per 48 minutes really is. Um, he's incredible. He's the MVP and it, I don't know if it's going to be unanimous, but it should be awfully close. I highly doubt it's going to be unanimous. Part of that is because I don't know if you heard Brian Windhorst and Tim Bontemps argument on the MVP, but (laughs) let's just say that it seems pretty clear that Windhorst will not be voting for Jokic. So that's, (laughs) that's one out of a hundred at least right there. All right. Well, it's not unanimous then. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's going to be pretty close, as you said, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I think yeah. he's also, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he's on track to, oh, no, I'm sorry, he is no longer on track to have the greatest single season PER in the history of the NBA, but he's pretty close, and, <laughs> you know, bad. yeah. 30, <laughs> does 31.3 do it for you? I yeah, mean, that'll, come, that'll work. Come on. He's, he's incredible, and he's just so fun to watch, because you're like, I've seen this guy at the YMCA, except this guy's, except Jokic is taller. And I mean, I don't know. We could, I think we could drool over Jokic for, for an hour, but uh, I think everyone else in the basketball media is already doing that. So uh, we can, we can dig the rest of the top five. Yes, let's do that. So we agreed at the top of our ballot, but we did not agree on our number two spot. So why don't you go first? Who'd you have at number two on your MVP ballot? So I had Joel Embiid. Um, I I don't think there was a lot of space between two, three, and four. And yeah, I agree. It, it, it kind of, for me, came down to... Just the fact that, you know, obviously, I think for anyone listening, they know that the other two of those guys would be Giannis and Steph Curry. Uh, For me... How dare you spoil it, honestly? (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you haven't, if you're listening to this but didn't know that, uh, that would be a, there's a weird Venn diagram at play here. But the thing for me about Embiid, um, you know, both of those, both Giannis and Embiid are so good defensively, um, but it's crazy to think that even though Giannis handles the ball so much more, I think Embiid is pretty clearly a better shooter. He just does things for that team that, um, that I don't think Giannis can quite do, you know, they get a little bit of a boost additionally because uh, Philly's the number one seed, you know, that, that doesn't carry like, that's not the end all be all to me, but it's important. Um, And, you know, he's just, he's just been so good throughout the season. and so he's my number two. I don't fault anyone for putting any of those other guys number two, but you just you just watch him watch him go to work, whether it's like face ups from eighteen feet and he's he's banking in jumpers like he's pulling a Tim Duncan out here. He can hit a spot up three when he needs to, which I don't know if you heard, Giannis is not a great three point shooter. Um, really? So, I've never heard that one. I know, it sounds weird. Um but, you know, he's shooting 38% from deep. Like, that's pretty darn good. Um, 86% from the line, and he's getting on the line 11 times a game. You know, it, it, the numbers are pretty close as far as, you know, the, the flat-out stats. They're both averaging about 28 and 11. Um, Giannis obviously getting more assists. Uh, Embiid a substantially better shooter from distance. Um, so I, I think it's splitting hairs, and I just felt like, um, you know, maybe I'm part of the – um, the voter fatigue thing where it's like Giannis hasn't, hasn't improved in a way that it feels like Embiid has. And so it's hard to reward like continuity, if that makes sense. So you and I had Giannis and Embiid flipped, and I'm glad that you brought up the voter fatigue slash continuity point. Mm-hmm. Giannis had a pretty tough first few games of the season, but after his five games in December, he's basically averaging 30, 12, and 6 again. And let me reread oh, that, that for all? you. 30, 12, and 6. Yeah, casual 30, <laughs> 12, and 6. 
And, you know, he was the clear MVP last year, and his numbers from his MVP season before that were clearly a step down from what he's put together this year. The Bucks' defense has fallen off a bit, but that's not on Giannis. That's on them trying more diverse defensive schemes, which hopefully will lead to them not being knocked out in the second round of the playoffs this year. He's making eight shots per game within 10 feet of the rim and shooting 71% on those shots. I mean, I the thing with the voter fatigue argument that I really don't like is, you know, let's say that right around that time where everybody thought it was a three-man race between Embiid, LeBron, and Jokic, let's say Jokic also gets hurt during that time, and Giannis is the only one that had missed fewer than 10 games, and he was putting up this kind of season, and it seemed like even if that happened, there would be absolutely 0% chance that he would win the MVP again. Because there's, you know, this sort of hallowed ground of three straight MVPs. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that would have been fair. And, you know, Jokic ended up having a better season, I think. And, you know, if he missed more than zero games, I think there might be an argument for Giannis that I just don't think anyone is really going to make. And I think that's, you know, kind of unfortunate because he's had just a remarkable season in every possible way. Yeah, I I definitely don't disagree with you there. You know, like you said, had the circumstances been a little different and Jokic wasn't borderline perfect health, like if Jokic and Giannis had both played 62 games, um, Giannis is in that case. I think he's got a he's got a stronger case, but you know, I think Embiid would also have a stronger case there too, um, and it would it would be awfully close if they'd all played, you know, virtually the same amount. Um, of games, but yeah, I, like I said, I don't fault you for putting Giannis second. To me, it's, it's a neck and neck is, well, it's probably like neck and neck and neck really. Um, But yeah, to me, it just went to Embiid for taking that step. And it's just really hard to be like, oh yeah, Giannis is the best player in the league. When you watch defenses stay like, give him 12 feet of space. I know that's not fair because he's a great two-way player and he does these things. Like you said, I'm, I'm looking at field goal percentage by distance on basketball reference and he's shooting 84% from inside of three feet. Yeah, that uh, works. Which Embiid for comparison's sake is 74%. Um, so about 10% worse. Like that's absolutely ludicrous, but there's just something about that ability to just leave the MVP by himself. Um, that just made it, that just gave Embiid that tiny, tiny, tiny edge in my mind. Well, you know who you definitely can't leave by yourself is the guy that we both had at number four on the MVP ballot. As of today, it is official. He has won the scoring title for the second time in his career. And Steph Curry, you know, similar to Giannis, is putting up pretty similar numbers to his unanimous MVP year. And He's not going to win, and I don't think that's at all because he's not deserving. But, I mean, the Warriors are the eighth seed, and he did everything he could to get Mm -hmm. them to be higher than the eighth seed. But they're still the eighth seed, and, you know, that was an issue with the Russell Westbrook MVP case. And I think that's even more of an issue for Steph Curry with this MVP case because, you know, you're putting it up against this season from Jokic. Yeah, so... I think there's one other piece that gives uh, that gives Steph a tiny little ding here. Um, so I think that the I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person to think this, but there's something to this season and the lack of fans and all that stuff that has inflated a little bit of offense. And Steph is are probably the best, uh, one of the best offensive players in the game, certainly top five right um so and when i when i looked at it earlier 20 players are shooting 42 percent from three or better this season and that just seems like way too many and so and actually steph was 19th coming into today uh joe harris shot 47 and a half percent from three this year yes he did three, three guys qualified at 47 percent bobby portis shot 47% from three. That, that one makes a, no sense. That one yeah, makes absolutely no sense. A great statistical footnote uh, for like sports trivia in 10 years. 
Um, but the, yeah, the thing with Steph is like, he, I think, is limited enough in defensively that Jokic and, well, not Jokic, um, that Giannis and Embiid just have enough of an edge there that he'd have to be super duper mega human uh, to make up for that because those guys are both unbelievable offensively too. And so, um, you know, we're, it's all splitting hairs when you're talking about like the four or five best players in the NBA. Um, but that's where the, the difference came down for me to have him fourth uh, after those two guys. So fifth is where this ballot starts to get a bit interesting. And we had different players in the fifth spot, which will also be reflected on our All-NBA ballots coming later in the podcast. But why don't you start? Who did you have at number five on your ballot? So I had Luca fifth. Um, the, the other thing that I, my first actual note regarding MVP was fifth is the hard one here. Um, because it's, there's so many guys who are a tier below Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, and Curry. And so it's guys like Jimmy Butler has this sneaky case. He's fifth in basketball reference MVP probability. Um, Curry ranks 10th on that thing. You know, you find guys like Kawhi shooting 40% from three. How did I miss that? Um, but for me, Luca just controls a game the game in a way that i just haven't seen um i mean th- his age has nothing to do with the mvp but the fact that he's 22 and you watch him just like pick apart teams and the way he's like it- it's almost like jokic where it doesn't look like he's moving particularly fast and it seems like he should be stoppable but he's not i mean he's averaging 28 eight rebounds, eight and a half assists. Um, his shooting is a little bit improved over what it was a year ago. Um, he's just like, he just controls the game and he's big. And that size, I think, plays enough to his advantage. Um, I, I had, I was torn between him and Dame Lillard for the fifth spot um, and ultimately went with Luca because he's got, he can do things that Dame can't do because he's big. Um, that's not to say that he, I don't know that he does anything that like Dame can do things better than Luca for sure. And Dame can step out to 35 feet and you have to guard him, which is ludicrous. Um, and like Luca can shoot a step back and it's reliable enough that you got to guard him a little bit, but he doesn't have Dame range. Like two guys in the world have Dame range. Um, but the fact that Luca can like, more or less post up like he can be in the paint he can body up on guys in ways that dame can't um and it's part of that control like if you get him the ball on the elbow not that they do that very much but like if you get him the ball on the elbow luca can do things that dame can't and that versatility uh to me put him just a hair above dame for the that fifth spot why don't you drive the dagger in a little bit deeper i think there's some part of my heart that hasn't been stabbed yet (laughs) Uh, what, what, what else would you like to know? Um, the fact that he's, uh, would, would it make you feel better to know that Luca is like over a decade younger than me? No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did my part. You did. Um, so and, I well, had, no, I know. Oh, yeah, you have Dame. Go ahead. I did have Dame in that fifth spot. And yes, you know, I think you really made the crux of the argument right there. But I think the difference is that. You know, Dame has probably the second most difficult diet of three-pointers in the NBA behind the guy that we had right ahead of him in Steph. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you put this Damian Lillard season up against, you know, almost any Steph season except this one and the MVP season, Mm -hmm. he's going to look pretty good, you know? and. He's done all this despite Zach Collins missing the whole year, despite Mm -hmm. Yusuf Nurkic missing a ton of time, despite CJ McCollum missing a ton of time. Mm -hmm. And they're going to end up as the sixth seed, which, you know, again, that's a bit of a detriment to him, just as it was to Curry when you're not in the top half of the playoff picture in your conference. But Mm -hmm. he also would have led them to like a three seed in the East if we're, you know, looking (laughs) at comparative records. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think, 
that there are quite a few players who could have an argument for the fifth spot here. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, for me, it came down to three guys that you've mentioned. Luca, who you picked. Dame, who I picked. And then Jimmy Butler, I think, just missed a little bit too much time and was just mm-hmm. a little bit too not good, let's say, at the beginning of the season. But yeah. he definitely got strong consideration for me there. Yeah. Um, the only tiny pushback I would say on the the Dame case is that um, a lot of those same things that uh, you mentioned about him, I think, can apply for Luca as well. You know, they have certainly not gotten the production they expected out of Kristaps Porzingis this year. Um, and sure. they are right there. Uh, I think, are they tied for record right now? We're recording this Sunday evening. I think they're within a game or maybe half a game of each other. Um, but I'm not sure which team I think they're both active right now. Um, So if the Blazers win and Dallas loses, they finish with the same record. So, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're so close those two to me, but um, you know, it's kind of a pick your preference at that point. All right, let's move on to the defensive player of the year ballot. And once again, we have the same player in first place. So I'm going to let you go first this time. Who is your defensive player of the year? I think everyone's defensive player of the year is Rudy Gobert. Um, Ben Simmons' defensive player of the year is Ben Simmons. (laughs) Great point. Uh, I should have seen that coming. Um, Yeah, it's, it's Gobert. Um, And as much as you can get into the stats, if you want to get into the stats, uh, it's like the biggest thing that Rudy Gobert does is the stuff that isn't in the box score. I'm sure you saw the video like two weeks ago, where I don't even remember who they were playing. Like three straight guys came into the paint and turned away and Rudy just started laughing. Like you just, you can't get within eight feet of the rim when he's on the floor and he unlocks everything Utah does. Um, He's so dominant in the paint. I mean, he's averaging 2.7 blocks, which isn't a staggering number. It's high, but it's not like blow you away high. Um, but like nobody can, nobody can get near the rim. How can you? Utah just says like, "Hey, we're gonna body up guys real tight on the wing, because if you get within ten feet of the bucket, all ten feet are taken up by Rudy Gobert's arms. So good luck." Uh, they got the fourth, uh, fourth in defensive rating. Um, teams just can't do anything against him, and they all know it. So you know, I think he's a he's a runaway winner. We talked earlier in the podcast about our mutual favorite, Ben Wallace, and Rudy is not that level, I don't think, Mm -hmm. but it's a very similar kind of effect where it's not just that players aren't shooting well when they shoot near the rim. It's that a lot of the time they aren't even trying. And how could you? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's why he's defensive player of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And he's ridiculous. And, And like I said, the, I think one of the biggest things is that having him in there means they can play a lot tougher perimeter defense and take risks. And so opponents are shooting 34% from three against the jazz, which is second best in the NBA. So it's working, you know, he, and they, they don't have to have two guys in the paint because he's enormous and (laughs) that's it. Yeah, it's funny because there is certainly an element of randomness to the three-point percentage that teams Mm -hmm. allow, but I don't think it's 100% random. You know, I do want to say that, and Mm -hmm. I think, you know, more to the point, what you mentioned about players being able to gamble for steals on the wing is, I think, incredibly important because, you know, Utah can take more chances everywhere on defense outside of the paint because they know that the paint is locked down and secured, and that is such a boon to their defense. It's so, so big. Well, let's move on to both of our number two, but his number one in Defensive Player of the Year voting, (laughs) Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers. His argument which I don't buy, which is why I have Rudy at number one. But his argument is that he's a lot more versatile than Rudy is. You know, Rudy is not guarding one to five. He's guarding the rim. But Ben Simmons is guarding basically the best player on the opposing team pretty much every night. And I think part of the Sixers' success on defense is also in large part due to Embiid doing 
basically exactly what Rudy Gobert does when he's yeah, actually he's like on a the diet floor. Rudy Gobert, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not even sure he's diet, honestly. I think there were times this season where Joel Embiid was the best defensive player in the world, but yeah. you know, the point there is Ben Simmons played a lot more and he played a really versatile role on defense and they work really well together on the defensive end and, you know, there's a reason that Philly's the one seed. It's not mm-hmm. just their play on the offensive end. So Simmons has had a really, really impressive season defensively. And honestly, if Gobert takes a step back in the next year or two, then Ben Simmons could have a good chance at a couple of these. But I don't think he's going to win it this year, and I would put him second on my ballot. Yeah, here's how good Ben Simmons is defensively. He's the second best defensive player in the NBA. That's how I would say it. Yeah, that works. Yeah. (laughs) Not too bad. Yeah. So we have different guys at number three, and they are very, very, very different defensive players. So I think this is going to be really interesting. So why don't you go first with your third place guy? And I will say up front that I also heavily considered this guy before I went with my number three choice. Yeah, so I think I zagged a little bit uh, as opposed to everyone else zigging. Um, but Miles Turner... Uh, I I really, really like Miles Turner. Um, He's averaging 3.4 blocks per game, which is like unheard of. Um, Whiteside, Hassan Whiteside and Serge Ibaka are the only guys who've cleared three blocks per game in, I think think since 2007. Um, And so he does, Turner does pretty much the same thing that Rudy Gobert does. Um, except he's blocking more shots. He is a notably worse rebounder, um, which is a big like ding against him, and which is why he's a, a relatively distant third to me behind uh, Simmons and Rudy. Um, but I just I just love when guys actually block shots because you know guys don't want to come in there. You know he's been averaging two two and a half blocks the last few years. You know what he's capable of. Um, and so the fact that he's still getting those blocks is so impressive to me. Um, he's had 12 games out of 47 because he's he's been injured, which is also why he's a pretty distant third. Um, but out of 47 games, 12 of them, he's had five blocks or more. I mean, that's that's unheard of. He started the season with eight, four, and five blocks in the first three games. Um, he's He's just... He's, I guess he's closer to the Rudy, the diet Rudy Gobert than Embiid was uh, earlier in the season. Um, and so that was the big thing for me. I just, I love a good interior defender and I love a guy who actually swats shots and lets the defense go be the defense, which boy, when he's been out, uh, those, those Pacers games where it's like 138 to 136 uh, really shows when he's not out there. Yeah, this Pacers team has absolutely collapsed down the stretch, but Turner's had a spectacular defensive season. And, you know, I think honestly, the other thing to note is that Turner's rebounding numbers aren't good and haven't ever been all that good, Mm -hmm. but the Pacers also got destroyed on the glass when he was out. And, you know, a lot of DeMontis Sabonis' rebounding numbers come from his good friend Miles Turner boxing out for him. So, you know, definitely. I certainly considered Turner, but I actually had Drew Holiday at third on my Defensive Player of the Year list. Guards haven't gotten recognition for this award since basically Gary Payton. And, you know, even non-centers, like it's been Kawhi and pretty much nobody else since Gary Payton. But Mm -hmm. Drew Holiday is the most devastating point of attack defender in the league still. And he's been huge for the Bucks down the stretch. If they are going to make noise in the playoffs, a lot of the burden is going to fall on Drew Holiday's defense, and I think he's up to it. You know, he's not a one through five defender like Ben Simmons is, but you put Drew Holiday on anyone under like 6'10", and the dude's just not scoring. Yeah, definitely. Um, He's in that same mold of the guys that I also kind of considered. Like Marcus Smart should always be on the verge of this conversation because it's one of the best things in the NBA when you watch someone try to post up Marcus Smart because they're eight inches taller than them than him and he strips them or flops and gets the call or, you know, I mean, he's so obnoxious down there. It's great. 
Um, Draymond Green obviously uh, always is on the fringe of this conversation when he tries. Uh, and that's, that's why he was outside the top three for me, but yeah, smart to me is, is very similar to, uh, what you just said about drew holiday, but I totally agree on holiday. He's been excellent. All right, let's move on now to our all NBA teams. So our first teams are going to be very similar. Spoiler alert. They're going to look very similar to our MVP ballots. Yes. So I had Steph and Dame Lillard as the guards. I had Giannis as one of the forwards. I had Nikola Jokic as my center. And I had Kawhi Leonard as my last first team All-NBA forward. He did miss a bunch of time this year, and he's not quite the clear best wing defender in the NBA like he was for a lot of his career. But he's still an absolute force. He's averaging 25, 7, and 5. You mentioned that he's shooting 43% from deep. And, you know, this Clippers team is right near the top of the Western Conference again. So I ended up putting Kawhi as my second forward. You had the guards from your MVP ballot, so Stefan Luca as your guards. But you did something a little different in the front court. So why don't you walk me through that? Yeah, so look, the NBA made these weird positional flexibility things, and they said that Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic could be used as forwards, so that is exactly what I did. Um, Oh, it would have been funny if I put both of them as forwards and then Rudy Gobert as the center. That would have been wild. I should have thought of that. Um, Full anarchy, going full anarchy. It would have been great. Uh, No, so I had Seth Luka as the guards, and Giannis and Embiid as the forwards, and Jokic as the center. I realize that that means my first team All-NBA has three guys who are basically seven feet tall, um, but I don't feel like there's a reasonable case to say, well, Embiid is probably going to finish second, maybe third in the MVP voting, but is not first-team All-NBA. Like, if you're going to give me the chance, I'm going to put him first-team All-NBA. Uh, you know, for all the reasons we talked about already, he's he's been great. So if they're going to give me a spot for him, I think he's been a better overall player than Kawhi this year. So he's going to take that spot. Um, I didn't make the rules, but I'm going to just, you know, take advantage of him. I'm really, really glad that you did that because I came very close to doing the exact same thing. Mm. And, you know, ultimately the real thing here is they should just get rid of positions for this like you know the fact that they have to say oh well you know 75 percent of the ballot qualifies at you know at least two different well not at least but you know 75 percent of the ballot qualifies at two different positions you know at that point what are we really doing here yeah or do it i mean they did front court back court in the all-star game do it that way like do make it consistent or make it no positions um or both make both of them no positions, you know, that's fine too. Um, but yeah, if you're, if they're going to offer, I'm going to take it. All right. So now let's move on to our second teams. So our first guard was basically the guy we didn't have on first team. So you had Dame as your second team guard and I had Luca as my second team guard. And then we both had the same player as our other guard on the all NBA second team. So Go for it. Who'd you have there? It's Chris Paul. And you can hear in my voice that I do not like Chris Paul. Uh, I just, (laughs) I never have. Um, And it's, it's got nothing to do with his basketball. I just don't like him. And that's okay. He's excellent. Um, He obviously raises the floor of teams in a way that is basically unparalleled outside of LeBron James, I think, you know, from, from what he did every year in LA and what he did even some of those years in new Orleans um, dating back to, to those days, which are a long time ago. Um, You know, Houston obviously was a little goofy uh, for those couple of years, but like, okay, see last year and Phoenix this year, like you knew Phoenix was going to be a little better, um, but come on, like we didn't see this coming and he's shooting, uh, he's shooting 40% from three again. He's shooting 93% on free throws uh 16 points nine assists he still gets a steal and a half a game like he's still an absolute pest as a an on-ball defender and he can still get to the elbow and hit fadeaways like at 
somehow a 99% clip. I, that's an estimate, but he's still just so effective. Um, and I think he deserves the nod for all of those reasons. And, you know, it is giving a, a big nod to him uh, and like crediting him for Phoenix's success. Um, and I think he deserves it. Well, I'm coming at this from a little bit of a different angle because I love Chris Paul and I've always loved Chris Paul. And <laughs> it's funny because, you know, that last Rockets season was, uh, but the season before, if Chris Paul hadn't gotten injured in that game five, they probably oh, yeah. would have won the title. And just imagine how much they might have played the Cavs. Well, okay, but you know they had a would very have been a series. They had a real good shot, real good shot. And imagine how differently Chris Paul's career is looked at, even if he just makes that finals, right? Yeah. But you know he got injured at the absolute worst possible time, and people are going to hold his playoffs against him, despite the fact that he's always been an exceptional playoff player. That early in his playoff career, played for teams that were lucky to make it at all, and certainly would have mm-hmm. been lower end of the lottery without him and you know those houston teams he did everything he could and then he got hurt at the worst possible time and last year in okc and this season in phoenix have just been absolutely spectacular yeah it's been really really incredible um and you know he deserves it i get it (laughs) just so reluctant to put him (laughs) under second team so At the forward slots, we both had Jimmy Butler as one of our forwards. He's averaging 22-7-7 and for Miami, and that's, you know, despite a really cold start for him. His defense has been great, and the Heat are surging at just the right time. He's he's exceptional. He is. Um, I don't actually remember if he was one of the guys who had COVID or not. I know the heat were just like ravaged by COVID in maybe January. Yeah. So Um, I did the heat for the power rankings this year. And mm -hmm. for the first couple months of the season, it was basically just back and forth between the COVID protocols for like five players, but they weren't quite at the wizards level where like they literally didn't have enough players who could dress to actually play games. So they were playing a bunch of games with like eight players and Max Struess. (laughs) Exactly. You know, they did, better than I think you could have hoped for during that stretch. But, you know, that that stretch at the start of the season gave them a bit of a hole to dig out of. They were 7-14, and yeah. 14, I think, at one point. Uh, I am double-checking. They were 7-14. and 14. You are correct. Yeah, so yeah, certainly the season since then has been a lot better. Yeah, and it's mostly due to Jimmy. Well, and someone who we're going to get to in a bit, certainly on my end. But for, sure. for the second team center i had joel Embiid because i didn't put him on the first team you had rudy gobert which we've already talked about his defense and he's super underrated on the offensive end we had different clippers forwards as our other second team all nba guys so you had Kawhi there while i had him on the first team Mm -hmm. and you left a comment in our planning document about the guy that i had (laughs) as my second team forward so i'm gonna let you go here but I will push back on it a little bit because I do have Paul George as my second team all NBA forward. Yeah. Uh, so in, I, I actually like Paul George uh, in a way that I don't, you know, like I, I'm not digging guys on personality here. Um, I appreciate Paul George, his openness about mental health, all that stuff. I think that's very important. And I, he is a very good player, but Paul George lost his chance at uh at like all nba in the third game of the season for me because Kawhi sat out and the clippers lost to the mavericks by 51 they scored 27 points in the first half it was 77 27 at halftime 50 point deficit at halftime yeah, that was probably the most brutal half of basketball I've ever watched. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. Um, it it rivals one of my favorite box scores of all time, which was, uh, I think, in 2011, January of 2011, the Cavs played the Lakers. So it was the year after LeBron left the first time, and the Lakers were, you know, real good. And the Cavs just had nobody. And, like... Jamario Moon is playing in this game. Uh, Luke hey, Perrin no Jamario Moon play. slander. No Jamario no, Moon slander. No, 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 no. He had to play like 40 minutes. Um, okay, fair. Yeah, Luke Herringody played like 28 minutes. Uh, I mean, it was 
it is the most ludicrous box score you've ever seen. Um, and this one from Clippers Mavericks was not much better. Um, but like just the fact that that happened and it's like, we're going to make a case for this guy being so good that he can carry a team. He's this, he's that. And to me, who is a Paul George non-believer, um, and that just did it for me. Like, I just don't think Paul George is on the level of these other guys. He's a really, really good player. And uh, frankly, he was in the mix for third team for me, um, but I have some curveballs coming on third team. Um, but like, he's just, I think all these other guys can carry a team and I don't believe in Paul George to do it. And so that's, that's the separation um, for me and Paul George. Okay, genuine question here for Cleveland Cavaliers fan Kevin. Oh, do boy. you not remember the 2012-2013 playoff runs at all? Uh, I, you know, I do. Um, I didn't watch that much of them because I was, you know, a man scorned. Um, but uh, I also remember, oh boy, was it the 2015 playoffs when they were against the Cavs and he had late game situation where he's like, you got to give me the ball in that situation. You got, you just, you have to give me the ball. And the next game ball comes to him with like eight seconds left and nobody on him for a game tying three. And he missed the rim, like doinked off the side, not the side side of the backboard. Cause it was like from uh, just a little off center of the three of the top of the key, like missed the rim 18 inches wide left and I was like, okay, this guy's, it's, there's, I can't do it with this guy. Um, like once he turned 23, he forgot how to carry it. I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. He's had the weirdest career and man, there is some playoff pressure on him this year. Yeah. He's such an easy target for all of the reasons that you've already run is, through. Is And like, even what you just said, do you remember the playoff run of like 2013 dude that's eight years ago you know <laughs> like okay that's that's the problem and like he should still be that guy and he you know the clippers were were not very good without him this year i think they were like i think they were four and four in games that he missed and Kawhi played um but like I, I don't know i just i feel like it's a fool me once shame on you fool me twice quit fooling me situation I thought it was uh, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, won't get fooled again, right? It's something, something like, that. like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Wow. That was <laughs> that was a throwback that I'm realizing now that I did not want to make. Let's mm-hmm. move on to our on NBA to third team. Yes. Transition from that as quickly as humanly possible. So yeah. you said that you had some curveballs coming up on the third team. We actually agree about both of our forward spots, but... Mm-hmm. And we actually agree about one of our guard spots too. So why don't you just run down your team? So I'm going to save the the big curveball for last. So I had LeBron as one of the guards. And the reason is just, it feels insane to not include LeBron in an all NBA team. Like I, I know that's not really fair to a lot of guys who deserve consideration. Um, Kyrie Irving didn't make my list. Uh, and he has had a ridiculous, ridiculous season brad beal phenomenal season um but like it just doesn't make sense to me to not include lebron he was so good when he was healthy and he came back you know for these last couple of games it seems like he's playing quite well um but so i so lebron's on there the forwards were julius randall and zion williamson um I think those are pretty hard to argue against at this point. Randall, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later on because he's just been phenomenal. Zion is like this inevitability when he gets the ball. It's like, I don't have a lot of dribble moves. I'm just going to bully inside and I'm going to score and you're going to try to stop me and fail. And like, he's unbelievable and can't wait to see where that's going. Um, For me, I had Bam as my center because I had Jokic and Embiid both um, on the first team. Bam's great. Uh, I My note about Bam is that I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt forever based on the block against Tatum in the bubble last year. <laughs> um, like, that's that just what it, I mean. You're listening to me stumble over my words just thinking about that play. Um, but 
here we go. Here's my curveball, and I can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, I'm putting Russell Westbrook as third team. Wow. I know. I know. Um, The last 22 games coming into today, uh, Russ is averaging 23 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists, (laughs) 1.6 steals, and he's shooting like close to league average, 45%, 33 from three, uh, 74 from the line. Like, that's not good, but... I mean, the Wizards have won 16 of those 22 games. Um, He just, he goes so hard all the time. And like, if he has an off night, like Beal, I want to say it was against the Cavs a couple weeks ago. Um, Beal was like four for 21. And while that was happening, Russ had like 18 rebounds, three steals, you know, 12 assists. and. 24 points and it's like he he does so much and yes you can absolutely leave him open and yes he will turn the ball over um and yes his rebounds are well his rebounds his rebounds are uh maybe a little inflated and his assists are like insanely inflated but um everyone's stats are kind of inflated and that's okay uh but like he just does so much and like he plays a lot of times he plays the first 15 minutes of the game. So like he checks out for the first time at nine minutes in the second quarter. Um, So like he's carrying the entire bench unit until Beal has had like a long rest and can play the long stretches in the second quarter. Um, And that is like a sneaky, super valuable thing. Um, So yeah, I had him over Harden because I will not forgive James Harden. Uh, for the Houston time and tons of injury. Um, Kyrie, I think, probably is the logical choice here. Um, But I just thought he just sort of like left the bubble a couple times or left, not left the bubble. He left the team a couple times. And it was like, I don't know if I'm willing to forgive someone for like going to parties while they're taking a break from the team during COVID. Yeah, that Um, wasn't great. Yeah, it was kind of personal. So I felt like, you know what, if it's between Beal and Westbrook, um, I think Beal is probably the guy I should have given it to. I would have given it to Jalen Brown if he'd stayed a little healthier or stayed a little hotter in the second half. But I just felt like I think he's I think Westbrook is like so polarizing that he's not getting credit for like anything. Um, he's doing a crazy, crazy thing and we're acting like he sucks and he doesn't suck. And so I feel like I want to overcorrect a little bit. Um, and since I had sort of those cases against those other guys, um, namely Harden, Kyrie, Beal, um, like Booker has been good, but I think if anyone deserves credit there, it's obviously Chris Paul. So it just kind of landed on Russ for me. And I know that's insane. So please tell me why I'm stupid. So I don't think you're stupid. And in fact, the fact that you said that the smart choice was the choice that I went with made me feel a lot better. (laughs) So just to quickly get out of the way, I had Rudy Gobert as my third team center because I didn't do the Embiid Jokic thing on the first team, but Bam is a very deserving third team guy. And if I had done the Embiid Jokic thing, he definitely would have been my third team center Really, it's those four guys in consideration at center and then a mountainous cliff fall off to probably Clint Capella at fifth. Yeah. The thing with Westbrook, I did the sort of, you know, exaggerated sigh thing when you brought that up, but I did strongly (laughs) consider him. What knocked him out of consideration for me and the reason I ended up going with Kyrie is Russell's first two months of the season were so abysmally awful that the fact that he's even in consideration for this is such a good sign for the way that he's played since that first two months, but he was so bad the first couple months of the season. And Kyrie missed time, yes, and missed certainly the party incident was not great in any way, shape, or form. That yeah. I wasn't happy about that either, I'll say that much. But yeah. he did end up playing 54 games this year, as of the end of tonight's game, he's, I believe, officially going to hit the 50-40-90 marks. He was 3 of 3 from deep last time I checked, midway through the third quarter, which 
would have been enough to get him to that 50, 40, 90 mark. And, you know, Harden will end up playing 37 games for the Nets. Durant will end up playing 35, I think. And, you know, both of those guys missed half the season and the Nets were the best team in the East for a while and only just fell short of Philly in the last, like, couple of weeks or so for that number Mm -hmm. one seed in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, when they've missed that much time and the Nets are still this good, I think that does a lot of credit to Kyrie's play on the basketball court. And, you know, the off-court party stuff was not great, but basically everything else Kyrie does off-court, you know, what he's done for the WNBA, what he's done for Mm -hmm. social justice is, you know, really a positive force in his favor. And I don't know, I feel like if I can say that and therefore say that, you know, the off-court stuff is not balanced out, but, you know, not entirely one-sided, the -the on-the-court stuff, I think he's the clear choice for third team. Yeah, and, you know, I think maybe, just maybe, uh, if this, if I were an actual, like, professional with a vote that counted, I might end up swapping it back for Kyrie. Um, But, like, I think I just wanted to have the Westbrook conversation. Um, but, you know, it's like a 51-49 kind of thing here, and I could be pretty easily swayed back to Kyrie in that spot. All right, let's quickly move on to the all-defensive teams. So I'm going to start out, read off my first team. It's pretty similar to my defensive player of the year ballot at the top. So Drew Holiday as one of the guards, Ben Simmons as one of the forwards, Rudy Gobert as the center. And then in the other two spots, I had Giannis. I don't think we need to argue more for his defense after the MVP conversation. But I had Mikhail Bridges as my other first team guard. And that's cheating a bit because he's played a little bit more forward this year with Devin Booker and Chris Paul being the guards. But he's been Phoenix's third best player by a wide margin. Mm -hmm. And he's 6'7 with... I believe he's listed at a 7-2 wingspan, but it feels like it's an 8-6 wingspan. He's a freaking pterodactyl out there, and he gets in the passing lanes all the time, and he's a really good weak side shot blocker, and he defends pretty much everybody one through four, and he's just a spectacular force on the defensive end, and a really underrated part in my mind of why Phoenix has been as good as they've been this season. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of counter arguments there. Um the only thing I did differently was I kind of bit the bullet a little and put Draymond as my uh, my replacement for Bridges there. Um, I had the the same other guys, uh, Holiday, Simmons, uh, Giannis, and Gobert. Um, for me, there's just something about Draymond Green when you like, obviously he's not always 100% engaged, but like when Draymond, like the best version of Draymond is still... I think one of the two best defensive players in the NBA, like who else can have a game where they have seven steals and four blocks? Like who in the entire league can do that? Draymond did that this year. Um, He's just so like versatile and his instincts are unbelievable. You know, he's a little smaller obviously than a guy like Gobert. Um, but he'll like he has to jump before the guy shooting jumps to block layups and he does it it's like you watch some of these in slow motion and it's surreal that he's committing to block the shot before the guy has committed to take the shot and he's right um it's like nothing i've ever seen before and i think maybe this is kind of on reputation and not necessarily statistics but you know I think the last couple of weeks when it's been clear that they're like fighting for the play in, he's been pretty darn good. And, you know, he's rebounding again. He's getting steals. He's locking guys down. Um, I have his game log up here and it looks like uh, over previous nine games, he's averaging over two steals over a block a game. Also, he's like their point guard. He's averaging nine, nine and nine plus three steals plus blocks a game. Um, he, he, like I said, it might be a little bit of a legacy thing uh, for him, but like I watched a couple of their games that he was really good this year. And I was like, how could you not think this is one of the best defensive players in the world? Yeah, it's a fair point, And I ended up having him on the second team. And certainly I can't really object to him being on the first team. 
Heading into tonight's games, the Golden State Warriors were fifth in the league in defensive rating per basketball reference, and minus Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins, who's been much better on defense this year, but honestly, minus Draymond Green, this team has no business being in the top half, much less the top five. Right. They would be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the rest of the second team. So... As I said already, I had Draymond as one of my forwards. I mm-hmm. had Bam Adebayo as my center. I mean, behind Rudy Gobert and really behind Rudy Gobert, I think he's been the best center defensively in the NBA this year. I would have put Embiid there if he'd played a few more games, but mm-hmm. Bam has been exceptional. He can switch pretty much everything, and he might be the third best one through five defender in the league behind Simmons and LeBron. It's certainly yeah. close, you know, in terms of, and he really, he takes it personally when guards try and, you know, drive by him and he just mm. locks them down. And it's, it's really fun to watch him do that. So Draymond was one of my all defensive second team forwards. Jimmy Butler was the other. And then as the guards, I had Lugans Dort, who Oklahoma City has fallen off an absolute cliff since the trade deadline, very intentionally, but <laughs> Watching Lou Dort on defense is, man, he just locks people up, you know, in in a way that only the absolute best of the best defenders can do. So, yeah, you know, they haven't been great the last half of the season, but they were much better than I certainly expected at the beginning of the season, and he's been excellent on defense all year long. And then the other second-team guy I had, this is a bit of a stretch. This is a lot of a stretch, actually, I think, but Matisse Thibault in terms of per minute defense, he gets more highlight plays than anyone else. I mean, he's in every passing lane. He blocks shots like a freaking center. You know, if he played more minutes per game than he does, I think he would be clearly a first team guy. But yeah. even in the 20 ish minutes a game that he does get, he's just so, so spectacular on that end of the floor that I ended up putting in as my second team guard. And I know it's a bit of a stretch, but. He's just spectacular. Or whatever. Else He's great. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that came up on on Low Post last week where he was like, I'm thinking about doing something reckless. I'm thinking about putting Matisse Seibel on my second team all defense. He's like, I know he gets 20 minutes a game. But those 20 minutes are absolutely phenomenal. Like he's for those 20 minutes, he's the best defensive player in any game ever constantly. Um, so I think that's a, a totally fine argument for him. I did not have him, but he received consideration for me uh, because I trust Zach Lowe. Um, but yeah, me for too. Me, yeah. For me, I had uh, similar names here. Um, I did have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I don't know if you heard, but Bam had this incredible block in the playoffs last year that I'm still thinking about. You know, I did uh, hear that. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Uh, so there's that. Um, and I had, I had bridges on second team uh, instead of first, you know, we kind of talked about the Draymond thing there. Um, Makes perfect sense to flip-flop those, and I, I wouldn't be opposed. And then I I don't really know how I feel about it, but I currently have Marcus Smart as the other guard. Um, so it basically, I'm taking Smart over Thibel. Um, And it's the same sort of thing as with Draymond. Like, if you watch a Celtics game and it's close, Marcus Smart will make plays down the stretch. Like, unquestionably, he will make defensive plays down the stretch that you're just like, God, I cannot imagine how angry I would be playing against that guy. Like he gets in everyone's way. He takes charges. Yeah. He flops, but like, he also is in position to take the charges. Like, even if he's exaggerating the contact, like he's getting in your way, you're falling down. He's getting tie ups. He's forcing jump balls. He's knocking balls off of your leg and out of bounds. Like, He's so aggravating. And again, like, I don't know how many guys in the NBA I would trust one-on-one posted up against Marcus Smart to score more than 50% of the time. Like, yeah, you know, Embiid could do it if there's no double team coming. Jokic could do it too, but that Jokic might be could it. Do it yeah, like maybe Anthony Davis could probably do it, um, but that's more a testament to how good of a shooter he is. But, like, you can't back him down. He's, like, he is a brick. Um, And anytime you spin, his hands are there. Like, he's so good. Um, 
So to me, he was he was a second team guy over Thibault, maybe just because he plays more. Um, but yeah, he he's he's just excellent. Yeah, that's that's a fair choice. I mean, honestly, I think that's probably a better choice than Tybal, but his defensive highlights were just so spectacular that I couldn't leave him off. I couldn't leave him off entirely. I'm with you. All right, so that will wrap up the first half of our awards podcast. He is Kevin Nye. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin P. Nye, and I will give him ample opportunities to plug his work in the second half of the podcast, but you have been reading him on Hashtag Basketball's Power Rankings alongside me and Draft Deep Dive's co-host Tyler Metcalf, so definitely be sure to check those out next season when they return. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Again, my work on the power rankings all season has now come to a close, but I will be continuing to do draft deep dive podcasts with Tyler leading right up to and after this upcoming draft. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.